Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. I'm Alex Wilshire, the Deputy Managing Partner of SNC's Criminal Defense and Investigations Group. With me today is my partner, Judd Littleton, who's co-head of the firm's appellate practice. Hey, Judd. Hello. Today, we'll be talking about a Supreme Court case this term, AMG Capital Management, LLC versus FTC. The case concerns what the Federal Trade Commission describes as two of its most important and effective tools, namely disgorgement and restitution. The FTC claims broad authority to regulate consumer protection violations and in recent years has targeted industry-leading companies. Historically, the FTC has pursued restitution and disgorgement awards based on a statute that does not appear on its face to contemplate any such relief. Pursuing such monetary remedies has become the FTC's main enforcement weapon to combat alleged violations of the FTC Act. Over just the last few years, the FTC has relied on the provision to obtain equitable monetary relief that totals billions of dollars. A ruling against the FTC in this case could wreak havoc on the agency's enforcement of the FTC Act. But if you're coming to this podcast to understand what may be in store for the FTC's enforcement authority, you should stay to hear about the oral argument because this one really had it all. All nine justices were active questioners and they refused to tip their hands on how the case will come out. The case presents a conflict between a pure textual reading of the statute versus decades worth of enforcement actions and court decisions that came both before and after Congress enacted the relevant provision in 1973. To sum up how conflicted he felt over the case, Justice Breyer said at oral argument that he thought both sides were right. They can't both be right, he said, but that's where I am. So let's dive into it. The case focuses on Section 13B of the Federal Trade Commission Act. That provision authorizes the FTC to bring in an action in federal court against any person who is, quote, violating or is about to violate any provision of law enforced by the FTC, close quote. And it provides the FTC the authority to obtain a temporary restraining order, a preliminary injunction, or a permanent injunction. But nowhere does the text provide the FTC the authority to obtain monetary relief, such as restitution and disgorgement. So Judd, let's start with the background. What's the historical context in which the AMG case arises? Thanks, Alex. For decades, courts of appeals had uniformly held that a court's authority to grant a, quote, permanent injunction under Section 13B also includes the authority to require wrongdoers to return money they obtained illegally. Now, those courts usually relied on two older Supreme Court decisions from the 1940s and 60s that broadly construed courts' powers under equitable jurisdiction granted by Congress unless Congress specifically provided otherwise. Essentially, the courts took the view that a statutory grant of some equitable authority carried with it all traditionally related equitable powers, even if those other powers weren't expressly mentioned in the text of the statute. But in more recent years, courts' approach to statutory interpretation has changed. As Chief Justice Roberts noted at the AMG oral argument, 
the old freewheeling approach to interpreting statutes has been replaced by a more disciplined textualist approach. As relevant to this case, the Seventh Circuit really embodied this shift in August 2019. Despite the history I mentioned earlier, the Seventh Circuit's own longstanding precedent and contrary authority in seven other circuits, a Seventh Circuit panel held that under a strict interpretation of Section 13b's text, that provision, quote, does not authorize restitutionary relief, end quote. The Third Circuit has since issued a similar ruling, adopting the same approach as well. So, Judd, the, the question presented in the AMG case may seem familiar to listeners because the Supreme Court considered a very similar question last term when it addressed the SEC's disgorgement power. Could you say a little bit more about that? Of course. We actually discussed that case in our Supreme Court business review and follow-up podcast from last term. The case is called Lou versus SEC. And in that case, the court considered whether the SEC's statutory authority to obtain, quote, any equitable relief that may be appropriate or necessary for the benefit of investors, end quote, authorized the SEC to seek disgorgement. Like with the FTC, courts for decades had been allowing the SEC to seek broad monetary relief as disgorgement pursuant to that provision. And in lieu, the court held that the statutory phrase equitable relief does give the SEC authority to seek disgorgement of ill-gotten gains. But the court imposed potentially significant limitations on the scope of that remedy, limiting any amount that the SEC could recover to the net profits from the illegal activity at issue. Those limitations appear to make the disgorgement remedy a lot narrower than what courts had long been allowing the SEC to recover. Notably, the SEC's statutory authority to obtain quote, any equitable relief seems to be broader than the FTC's authority to obtain a permanent injunction under Section 13B, which is now at issue in AMG. So that's obviously important context for the AMG case and and maybe doesn't bode well for the FTC's chances. Uh, Why don't we move on to the merits of, of the AMG case? Not surprisingly, at oral argument, AMG's arguments uh, focused largely on the textual. AMG emphasized that the text of Section 13b nowhere authorizes monetary relief. In contrast, the FTC relies on history to argue that centuries of equity practice demonstrate that restorative monetary relief is a power traditionally belonging to the authority to issue a permanent injunction and nothing in the statute provides a clear legislative command that restricts those traditional powers. Judd, could you say a little bit about some of the issues that the justices developed during the oral argument? Sure, so we've touched on one of the most prominent issues already, the change in the general judicial approach to statutory interpretation in the roughly 50 years since section 13b was passed. Chief Justice Roberts explained that the court's prior approach was not, quote, as confined to the specific language, end quote, that Congress used, but rather, as he put it, the court, quote, looked at what Congress had in mind and figures out the meaning in light of that. Today, on the other hand, the Chief Justice explained that the court employs a stricter textualist approach, which he described as more suited to our role under the Constitution. But he wondered whether, if the court's role is to give effect to the intent of Congress, 
the court should view the statute under the interpretive lens that Congress would have expected it to use at the time that Congress drafted the statute. Jared, you spoke a minute ago about Lou uh, being an example of the court's more textual approach these days. Uh, but this issue also seems to echo a debate uh, from the Bostock v. Clayton County case from last term. That's the case where the court held that firing an employee for being gay or transgender violates Title VII's prohibition on employment discrimination, quote, because of sex, close quote. Justice Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion there, and he relied on a very strict textual interpretation of the word sex. Yeah, that's exactly right, Alex. And, and the dissenting justices in that case, you know, Justice Kavanaugh, who wrote his own dissent, and Justice Alito, who was joined by Justice Thomas, argued, among other things, that no member of the Congress that passed Title VII would have understood that statute to apply to discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. But the court held that because the plain text of Title VII, in other words, the meaning of the words Congress used, because that text unambiguously covered those kinds of discrimination, Congress's subjective understanding at the time was irrelevant to the case. So the interpretive method and the underlying debate is reflective of the trend we've discussed. There's also a question of separation of powers that, that came up both in the Bostick case and again at the AMG oral argument. Can you say more about that? Yeah, that's right. It, so Justice Kavanaugh sees this issue as essentially a stay in your lane problem. Uh, as he put it in the AMG oral argument, you know, well-meaning members of the executive branch or an agency may want to, quote, do the good or prevent the bad, but not have the express statutory authority to do so, so they have an incentive to stretch the limits of the text. And the problem with that, according to Justice Kavanaugh, is that then the executive branch exceeds the authority that Congress has delegated to it, effectively taking on legislative power to the executive branch. And if the Supreme Court plays referee by enforcing that line, according to Justice Kavanaugh, it leaves the power with Congress to change the statute if Congress intended something different than how the Supreme Court interprets it. And now in 2021, Justice Kavanaugh has a, has a precedent to show that Congress maybe does listen to the court on some of these points. Again, getting back to the Lew case, uh, at the end of last year, 2020, Congress passed the National Defense Authorization Act for the fiscal year 2021. And among many other things, that act amended the Securities Exchange Act to give the SEC the explicit authority to seek disgorgement. And it also extended the statute of limitations to 10 years for disgorgement uh, on certain Sienta-based securities laws violations. So maybe it is that, that Congress is listening on some of these issues at the court. So Judd, Moving to the issue of history, can you talk a little bit about what the justices were focused on? Sure. So Justice Breyer in particular uh, was very focused on history in, in several different respects. He was concerned with the history of the FTC as an agency. He explained that the FTC was created in 1914 through a compromise between a business community that was very suspicious of FTC power and a progressive community arguing for a muscular FTC to protect consumers. And the compromise was to empower the FTC only with forward-looking remedies rather than retrospective remedies to punish conduct that the business community was unaware was wrong at the time that it occurred. And Justice Breyer said that Section 13B reflects a similar compromise 
when it was added to the FTC's toolkit in 1973 with the understanding that it would only be used in exceptional cases. Given the provision's increasingly expansive use in modern times, Justice Breyer wondered at the oral argument whether ruling for the FTC in this case would mean that the fears of the business community going back to 1914 were absolutely right. But Justice Breyer was also concerned about disturbing the longstanding practice of the FTC that had been consistently reaffirmed by lower courts for decades and relied on in a lot of important enforcement actions. So I think that goes to his quote that you mentioned earlier, where he said, I kind of think both sides are right, and I don't know what to do with that. Now, Justice Kavanaugh also piggybacked on the historical point. He, he wondered if, you know, given the history here, the court should just leave well enough alone and allow the FTC to continue doing what it's been doing for decades. Justice Kavanaugh also raised the issue of whether ruling against the FTC would require overruling precedent, asking, should the court overrule Porter and Mitchell, those two cases from the 1940s and 60s, if it were to rule for AMG in this case? So, you know, different histories were of concern to, to multiple justices in a lot of different directions. That's interesting. Let's turn finally to one other topic that seems to be clearly on the justice's mind. And that's the question of whether this actually is restitution. If it is restitution, the FTC ought to be giving the money back to the actual victims as opposed to depositing it in the US Treasury. There were a number of questions about that. And it was also a topic that came up again last year in the Lou decision. That's right. In Lou, the court expressed some concern about funneling quote, equitable monetary remedies to the U.S. Treasury. The court stated in its opinion that courts test the bounds of equity practice by ordering the proceeds of fraud to be deposited in treasury funds instead of dispersing them to victims. Several justices asked about this issue at AMG argument. Justice Alito wondered whether if the court ruled against the FTC, victims who have already received money would have to return it to the government. Turn in the other direction, Justice Barrett raised the point that traditional equitable remedies are focused on returning the victim to the position he or she was in before the harm. And so if the FTC was not going to return to victims the majority of the funds obtained through Section 13B, Justice Barrett thought it seems like it functions more like a fine than an equitable remedy. So the use of the funds obtained through such an equitable remedy continues to be a central focus for the justices across these cases. Okay, Judd, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Um, based on the oral argument, wh where do you think the court is going to come out on this one? <laughs> well, the, uh, the justices asked a lot of questions of both sides, but multiple justices, including Justice Breyer, who I think the FTC would really need to get uh, on its side, expressed a lot of open skepticism about the FTC's authority to obtain monetary relief under Section 13B. So I think if you're the FTC right now, it's hard to feel pretty good about how this is going to come out. And, you know, last year in the Lou decision, it, it wasn't a black or white outcome. The court split the baby a little bit and, and allowed the SEC to continue to seek disgorgement, but imposed limitations on that authority. Do you, do you think the court could split the baby here in the FTC case? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, AMG does make the backup argument in its brief that even if the FTC can get monetary relief under Section 13, the award here was unlawful under the principles set forth in lieu. 
Uh, and it's it's hard to imagine that the FTC could win in this case without the court holding that those same limitations apply to the narrower statute here as compared to the SEC statute that was at issue in lieu. So, you know, that result would seem to be more of the FTC's best case scenario as opposed to splitting the baby at this point. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, Judd, we, we expect an opinion by the end of the term in June, correct? Yes, that's correct. We'll see how it comes out. Great. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, you can find additional information on the AMG case in our recent article that's dated January 19th, 2021, uh, which was published on law360.com.